Welcome to the Idea Land Podcast, hosted by Ravi Kamati Reddy. Dr. Michelle Zhu is CEO of Juji Inc., a Silicon Valley company specializing in building cognitive, conversational, and empathetic AI. An entrepreneur and scientist, Michelle explains why the future depends on AI with a high EQ, machines that understand what we want and how we feel. Michelle Zhu, CEO of Juji. Um, last time we spoke, I feel like you were at the beginning of this journey with Juji. Mm-hmm. And, but, but you've been working in this area uh, with some of the best teams in the world for a long time. So could you just tell everyone who's watching or listening your story? How did, what is Juji and how did you get there? What were the steps before Juji? Right. Thank you, Robbie, for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, talking to you about Gigi and Gigi's journey. I So to start, so I have always been in the area, uh, it interdisciplinary field called human-centered AI, which intersects artificial intelligence and human-computer interaction. So the idea for this interdisciplinary field is to actually... Um, uh, make smarter computers that can better understand people and use such understanding to better help people. So, for example, if the computer can know the person's needs and wants and the personality traits, so they can actually recommend maybe the best career path and the financial decision, financial plans, and as well as probably healthcare, wellness, uh, routines, right, regimes. And so um, uh, before I started GG, I worked at IBM Research, IBM Watson Group for more than 15 years. So there we have actually developed a, a conversational AI system and also uh, one of the products called the IBM Watson Personality Insights. It's all in the effort of trying to actually use uh, creating smarter computers to uh, better understand people, better help people. So one of the challenges here it is, um, so you need like a, maybe, uh, if not hundreds, uh, at least a number of PhDs, a number of very talented engineering teams, and not mentioning huge amounts of data, intensive computational resources to create those smart computer systems. So one of the GG's goals it is, we really want to democratize the creation, the operation of the AI systems. So anyone, especially including non-IT professionals, so they may have domain knowledge, they're subject matter experts. So we want to put those tools in their hand so they can create their own AI assistance, customize in any way they want and deploy it and manage it and maintain it in any way they want. Right, so that's the what idea of the uh, 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 core part of the GG. So right now, GG is creating what we call it a uh, cognitive AI assistance. So again, from uh, AI point of view, so many AI companies also focusing on teaching machines AI assistance, various types of skills, especially human perceptual skills, understanding images, understanding natural language. But we also have another kind of a, a goal in mind. It is we want to teach those AI assistants what do we call it, advanced human skills. It's almost because uh, in our kind of we envision that those AI assistants will help companies, organizations to augment their workforce, not replace them, really augment their workforce in that regard. Whenever you want to hire an assistant, you also want the assistant to have some emotional intelligence, right? Soft skills. How do you collaborate with people? How do you actively listen into your audience? How do you read between the lines to understand your audience? So, so basically, coming back, there are two things we're focusing on the GG to teach the AI assistants human soft skills, like active listening, reading between the lines. Second, democratize the creation of such cognitive AI assistance. So anybody, literally, any organization, doesn't matter they have AI or no AI expertise, can create their own custom 
AI assistants to augment their workforce, to relieve the burdens on their human workforce, right? But in the meantime, to scale out their operations to help more people they want to help. So that's kind of at a high level gist of what Gigi is doing. Michelle, that just seems like so science fiction. I mean, and, and I mean that in a good way. I mean, like you're making science fiction a reality, it, it looks like. Um, but the, the fundamental question, the, blary, the, the glaring question is, it's hard to teach people these soft skills, right? So how can we even start, I mean, building a process to teach machines how to do this? Or is it actually easier to teach machines? Are humans just so prickly and complicated that, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's actually much more fun to teach machines to do this? I love your question. You're absolutely right. That's why when we told other people, we said this one. Sometimes the humans even cannot master certain soft skills, right? But you have to keep in mind why sometimes people couldn't master certain soft skills. Is it because of their personality, because of their maybe emotional signatures? So on another side, machines, you almost like teach somebody who has the clean slate, right? Because the machines yeah. don't have biases from beginning machines don't have emotional burdens how they want to interact with people so in some way you're right it's easier to teach machines those soft skills and the more and depending on which type of soft skills so for example if you want a machine to be having human skills of abstract reasoning to have the creativity it's much harder right because it's just uh, we're not there yet but a certain and uh, soft skills, like what I mentioned earlier, reading between the lines, right? So certain people are very good at reading between the lines. For example, detectives, psychologists. You know why? Because they got trained. They pay attention to the details that normal people often miss, right? The facial gesture, how the inconsistent, maybe consistent in their communication patterns and how they communicate and what they communicate, right? So this case, actually, if you're talking about this very small, very easy to miss evidences, it's much easier to teach machines because machines do not forget any small things, right? So in our case, we use the modern psychometric theory called the item response theory in conjunction with big data analytics basically to train machines to identify the very small signals often can be used to reveal humans' characteristics. And for example, like um, this is kind of in the line of the work called psycholinguistics, which means it is uh, it's a, actually a very old subject area field of study, which means that uh, how people communicate and uh, how they actually use words, the patterns reveal the people's uh, actually psychological characteristics. And if you can identify those kind of evidences, you can train machines to also infer people's unique characteristics. So that's how we have taught machines to infer what we call the personal insights, right? Because it's much easier for machines to do because machines will pay attention to what they are taught to and instead of kind of missing anything, right? But humans uh, probably much harder. Like for example, we just uh, we just actually talk about uh, a bunch of things, right? And uh, probably even myself couldn't remember every word I just re remember a word I just said. But the machines, like a recording, doesn't miss anything, right? It wouldn't miss anything. So is, would it be fair to say? Well, first of all, I think uh, I'm going to reveal. I'm going to date myself and probably age myself with this reference, but I feel like you just you've just revealed the great secret of every TV detective on every show that's ever mm -hmm. been, right? So like the 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 Angela Lansbury's, the Columbo's. Right. Is is this what they're is this what would we call this uh process something that those people or people like that or people who have high EQ, they're intuiting feelings, emotions, personality types and responding correctly with uh how people are choosing their words during that communication. Uh in that, is, is, would that be fair to say? That's something that you're trying to make computable, in essence. Oh, 
yes, in, in at least partly in that way, right? So actually, I got a question in a, one of my speeches, talks. And people say that, you know, machines don't even have emotion. But how could you think a machine could have emotional intelligence? And machines can be empathetic. Actually, as I said, I told the person, I said, you actually asked the great question, right? So the uh, coming to us, it is, can you teach something that doesn't have emotion to be emotionally intelligent? I think the answer is yes. You know why? Actually, it's easier. Uh, emotional intelligence means two parts of it, right? One part of it is uh, you want to, this one to understand other people's feeling, right? Understand uh, to be in other people's shoes. And the second part of it is uh, uh, you be understanding them and also showing that you're understanding. So, you know, sometimes the people, you, you, we're trying to say certain people don't show that kind of emotional intelligence. I would say it's my hypothesis too. I think that probably scientific studies will back it up in some way. Which means it is maybe people do understand what other people feel, but they don't. They choose not to. Very possible, right? They choose not to. For example, I knew that this person actually feels sad. I knew that if I say something will make this person feel sad and feel happy, you choose sometimes do the opposite, right? Because sometimes you, you, you probably do this too. Uh, you probably heard about this too, and see people do it too. You think the person doesn't know if they say this one will make us upset? Of course they know. But that's maybe that's their intention to make you upset, to make you angry. But the machines, if you, machines themselves don't come with emotions, don't come with purpose by default. But if you teach them to say, hey, don't do this, you will make machine, you make people feel hurt, feel one, the machines won't do that. Right. So in this case, it is yes. The machines don't have emotion themselves, but you could teach them to actually to be emotionally intelligent, which means it is to say the right thing to um, uh, actually to show that as if they feel what people feel, even they don't feel it, but they can remember how if I if I want how people show off their intelligence, they have to communicate in some way. So basically, machines just. Uh, uh, communicate in a way, make you feel that way, not necessarily you, they need to feel that way, right? So that's kind of things I was trying to think about. Uh, hey, that's true. When uh, when people feel something you actually don't know, well, only when you know it is they express that feeling. So, hey, that's actually cool for machines to do. Then machines just need to express that feeling, but that without being feeling it. <laughs> and it without is interesting. It, there is some big percentage of human communication, just linguistic communication, that probably is just noise. Or, I, you know, I've heard someone say uh, a statistic around. I'm, I'm forgetting this person's name. It was a researcher, mm -hmm. a linguist, who was saying like 30% of human communication is just clearing up misunderstandings. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about all the people in the conversations you have all of your life, and if mm -hmm. you're spending a third of your time just being like, "I didn't mean that. What I meant was this." And, you know, I think you're seeing it live in presidential debates, fights on Twitter and clubhouse. You know, it's people either doing it unintentionally or like yeah. you say, it could be intentional because you're trying to elicit an emotion. Well, it, and it does bring this – there seems to be a, an AI rabbit hole that's easy to go down, which is – hey, like you were mentioning with that question you had, which is if this, per, if this machine is in – is it alive? Is it conscious or whatever? And you're saying it doesn't matter because as long as it is able to respond to somebody to evoke – or persuade through an emotional response or arousal, that's good enough. Mm -hmm. What is it about humans though? Because I, I would actually think the other way. I would think um, I, I actually am so comfortable with this idea because I think humans and machines have been talking for a long time. It's mm -hmm. just now they're talking back to us. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many times have I talked to my car? You know, many times we, we personify these objects uh, and we personify characters on TV when we know they're fictional or cartoons, or why is it, why is it, well, what is with the human propensity to forget that we're talking to Siri and see Siri as a, an embodied person with, with an EQ? And does this, is this work for everybody? Or are there certain groups in the population who kind of see through this trick and just don't really interact with these things? Can we find that out now? I think, uh, um, uh, because you you actually ask the multiple parts of it, and, and one first part it is, uh, I think uh, uh, this is a lot of studies show that actually 
uh, one of them from a scientist, a professor, Cliff Nass. He has a book about uh, when how people behave when they interact with machines. It's very similar how they behave, how they interact with the real humans. There's a, not much of a difference. This is uh, precisely because we humans have emotions. We're just who we are while we're humans. So when humans get into that one, humans will develop a emotional attachment to it. Like for example, as the people have pets, right? And people even I don't have animal pets, but I have a lot of plants. For example, I do develop emotional attachment to my plants. If a plant dies, I feel very sad too, right? So that's that's what makes us human. Nobody gonna change us on that one, which is great, right? So this is one part of it is, so to your question it is, so doesn't matter whoever is going to work with machines and then uh, you uh, and basically interact with machines, eventually they will equate to as if they're working with a human, right? In a, in a point, that's why people, scientific studies actually show that kind of behavior. Second part of it is that it is, I guess people ask me a lot of this, especially our clients. So when there's a machine, uh, interact with the users. Do you want to let the users know this is a machine versus uh, this is a human, right? Because uh, in some organization, they said, "Oh yeah, I don't want to. I don't want my uh, users to know this is a machine. I want to uh, this machine to pretend to be human." We always came and say, "No, do not pretend," because machines have so many uh, imperfections, uh, and you couldn't really replace human. So even though I'm a, a scientist, I have been working this human-centered AI area for last probably almost 25 years, I don't believe machines will ever, ever replace humans. That's precisely because machines don't have those emotions, don't have this one. And also, I think there's a right balance, what do we call it, a human-machine teaming relationship, right? So in my view, I always think about, maybe I'm optimistic, I always think about humans will always be the supervisors of the machines, I now I change the stance from operators to supervisors precisely because there's no code. Supervisor, which means it is, you will tell the machines on the high level what the tasks will be, what the high level instructions will be. But machines will go ahead and carry out the tasks, right? Figure out the nitty gritty details. Versus the person has to be the operator. You can think about the used to be the op, uh, robotic operator. You have to do all the kind of like movements, all the things, right? So. Oh, I think we will pass that era, really becomes the supervisor. Like right now, most of our clients are really supervisors of their AI assistants, just on the high level, maybe teach once so the machines can learn on their own and then learning new knowledge and learning new uh, uh, patterns. So I think that's one. So only since it is there's a controversial, some people, because the, I just I think it's like in a panel, maybe in some other type of interview, will ask me, say, oh, you know, Michelle, some people actually, I guess it's in panel. Some people want machines to be their companions, like their girlfriend, their boyfriend. So how would you take that? And I said, it really depends how do you want to view the machines, right? I don't think the machine can ever, ever replace the real girlfriend, a human girlfriend, and the real uh, boyfriend. If you want to treat them just like another like a game, for example, like you, like you can say, oh, my phone is my best friend. My computer is my best friend. But it, when you say this one, it's not in the sense of your real human best friend. Would you agree with me on that? You know, I agree with you for sure that there's things that are offered by human that are exponentially better than what can be on, on the even, even the smartest set of computationally, linguistically savvy AIs. What I will say, though, is that there's a subset of people who, for whatever reason, have a psychology where they probably can get – it's easier to hijack them to where they're feeling a lot of solace uh, and comfort with virtual agents. And it's – I think we all have that to some extent. I mean, honestly, do you remember back in the day, uh, Microsoft's Clippy? I felt yeah, bad when I had closed – I felt bad when I closed Clippy. I was like, oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, guy. Bye. You know, because be, it was, Yeah, that's right. Well, he has the eyes and the, it's very, very clearly designed to evoke an emotional response. But, you know, there are cases in Japan where people are so sucked in. You know, they're really suffering from a problem, a subset of people there. 
of just agoraphobia. People are, are, are not making contact, their birth rate's going down, mm-hmm. um, and they're playing video games. And there's a bunch of people who are marrying apps, like they're with their avatars and their Nintendo Switches, to a pathologic state. Now, either all of us at some point of stress or PTS or, or, uh, or trauma yeah. probably could be susceptible to that thing. So I think there's a fine line of like, when does the mental health bot become something that augments your thinking versus where is it replacing completely a human psychologist? And that's a very gray area to me. I think we have to yeah. be careful there for clinically. Yeah, I don't but, think it will, at least as I said, I'm an optimistic scientist. I just don't think, I guess my uh, argument, my uh, not argument, maybe my uh, uh, understanding of that one, you're right. So uh, you know why people, because many research studies, including ours, show that uh, people are much more authentic, are much more to be themselves when they're with machines, right? You know why? So this is the one of the psychological called uh, psychological safety. Because uh, machines, at least at this stage, right, machines do not judge you. And the machines are more, not that super smart yet. So act as more like a, what do you call a, a kid, a ch- child. So we are always the more um, uh, honest with child, right? So you don't want to lie to child, something like that. Because you felt like it's a, choice a child doesn't judge you. A child is very innocent. Maybe that word is good, innocent. That's why people should do that one. So once the machines get more evolved, and uh, uh, with more intelligence, uh, uh, I'm just wondering, right? I don't know how, because we don't, we, we haven't got to the stage yet. Uh, whether we want to educate the human counterparts to say that one, just keep in mind, this is still a machine, right? Because I, uh, what my uh, argument about why machines would never replace humans, it is, uh, it's the experience part. Not even mentioning, so you, I'm pretty sure you have a childhood friends, right? And now I have, I have my childhood friends, I have my husband, which I also consider all my best friends. But certain things I prefer to talk to my childhood friends. You know why? Because we experienced the same. We grew up together. We knew. But if I talk about something else when I, in my adulthood life, I prefer to talk to my husband because we experienced the same. So it's very difficult to um, have the machines to replace that because Unless the machine has experienced this, has exactly the same experience as you had, right? I'm pretty sure you often had this one. And I just remember when I spoke to my sister, I said, uh, yesterday was happened to be Chinese New Year. So I would uh, talk to my sister and my mom said, oh, you know that 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, in the Chinese New Year, we would do X, Y, Z. Only the humans can do, only the humans who experience the same can do that, right? But even you put that into the machine, I don't know how machine would uh, 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 would actually um, give a theory because uh, you wouldn't, even though machine would uh, recall that one, you don't have that kind of re- connection to it because the machine did not experience that with you together. That's the whole point, right? There, there is this, and, and there, there, that's right. And that there's this growth phase where you both matured and went through these experiences you can relate to. However, it does bring up an interesting question because I feel like we're at a time in the this timeline of innovation. We're at a specific yeah. node where all three of these things could you you could you could play with all three dials of the privacy, of the pretending, and the shared experience. That's with children. So I I wonder now. I mean, I'm older now, but you know, I've put some more gray hairs on since we last talked. But someone who's six years old or seven. This generation that's growing up that's never known a world where they couldn't talk to a one-foot cylinder in their kitchen and get instant answers. That blows my mind. What do they think of these? Are they comfortable? Are they comfortable sharing their experiences? Uh, will they be? And do they care? Uh, you know, is this is is it going to pass the Santa Claus test? I mean, are, are you going to destroy their world if you tell them there's no person behind there, or do they know and they not care? So I'm fascinated by by the application of of, of this kind of AI to, to young kids? I think that's a great question because you just reminded me what I, your, your, your description just reminded me, I just, what I said, right? You're right. So if the kids are, are, uh, will grow up, will grow up with the machines, that might be a different story because the machines almost like their childhood friend and knows everything about them. Right. So actually, um, 
that's the kind of things that needs to be studied out. Needs to be have a more, um, I would say, uh, uh, understanding of that because um, I remember uh, because of our cognitive AI, it's so advanced now. So some of actually um, educators were asking the question, say this one, hey, what if we put a, a GG-like cognitive AI into a, 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 a toys, like a, a like, like the kids' toys, and they interact with this cognitive AI, right, teddy bears or maybe on their Barbie dolls all the time. And then uh, actually when this discussion raised, that was because of ethical issues, right? So, so for example, if they, uh, actually this example, because if you remember what I said, it is uh, our AI actually reading between the lines by automatic, but not by dynamically analyzing, not automatic, but dynamically analyzing the conversation text, right? And they're trying to infer the user's needs and the wants and the, and, and the characteristics. So thinking about the toy like this, suddenly found out that, because they interact with the kids, right? Suddenly found out that the kids used to not say those swear words. The suddenly starts to say that and also become very angry, right? Should this, should this toy report back to mom and dad or the school teacher to say, hey, this is a kind of abnormal behavior. This kid used to be very kind, very gentle, had a mild temper, but then suddenly, just for the recent two weeks, become very angry, become kind of just always speak these swear words. Because from the positive side, this could be a sign this kid either got bullied or either got kind of some kind of uh, uh, traumatized. Or from another way around it is if the kids grow up, figure out that my best friend actually spying on me. What a so where should we strike the, where should we set the line, right? So this is actually very, a lot of ethical issue, privacy issue. I don't think anybody has, at least I don't have the answer yet. Great answer because the technology advances, people see the possibility already. And uh, I guess people have, don't have the answer yet. Uh, it's almost like the people using a, a camera for surveillance, right? And some people, because saying that they uh, violate privacy, but the, some people say that, it helps us catch criminals, catch crimes. So which way are you going to go, right? So it's always you have to have the delicate balance because I am just thinking about what your point. It's a great point. Um, if they grow up with somebody and what kind of roles the, the, a machine would, uh, uh, the machine would actually play, right? So I think uh, it still needs to be hashed out, needs to be kind of a... Uh, the policy, the use it, uh, the uh, uh, usage policy, and uh, needs to be at least guidelines developed. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, I was I was just thinking about our conver- our upcoming podcast. So I was I was just looking around and I was thinking about some topics. I was doing some research, and I I stumbled upon. I'm curious to see what you think about this. Uh, Sundar Pichai's uh, demo of Google Duo. I believe it was 2018 or so. At the time, I remember it was on stage and he was using it to make a home a phone call to a hairdresser. And it was successful, and there were, you know, a million people in the audience just tweeting on TechCrunch Live that this was the most incredible display of, of, of a conversation between a human and a machine, and it was convincing. And at the time, I remember thinking, well, this is really cool. This could be very helpful. I can imagine 15 tasks. I could give this thing right now to take to give me some time back during the day. I rewatched it the other day, and I had a really icky feeling. You know, it was this – I was like, ugh, because – and this, I think, speaks to your point about being fooled because you're watching live as someone's getting fooled and it doesn't feel good. And I wonder, you know, it, it, there's a little bit of a disgust that came there. And I'm like, that's not – telling – having that person be fooled looks cool from the third-person perspective. If you were that person though, I would want to know if I was talking to a human or a bot. And there are times now when I say – like, you know, I was joking when I asked you when we started, like, are you a bot? But – I think it's very common for people to ask while they're on hold at a customer service bot or agent that's being used. Uh, hey, is this a person or is this is this real? Because they sound convincing. Um, you know, what do you think about that? Because I'm again reminded of one more thing, which was the one of the biggest things uh, that that like leads to divorce, like an indicator for divorce, is contempt. Like if you're contemptuous of your partner, like in marriage counseling, if you're rolling your eyes when your wife is telling you something, is telling the counselor something, it's like that's a bad sign. And I feel like contempt makes bad products too. And once you start losing trust 
in your customer with their with a with a product that's trying to lie to you, you you start inducing contempt for that product, which is kind yeah. of a uh, another bad sign. How do you feel about things like that? Well, we are fooling people. Interesting. I think uh, I think from my personal perspective, I think it's about expectation and uh, the purpose, right? So I guess mostly driven by the purpose. So let's say, for example, if the purpose is just to get the job done, let's say I need to uh, make appointment with my doctor, I need to make appointment with my like your hairdresser or maybe appointment at restaurants. I probably care less about on another end, it's a real person or it's a machine as long as the job gets done, right? That's right, it's the purpose and the performance, expectation as well. However, another way, it basically depends on where to be used, application. So let's say uh, uh, I wanted to uh, to do something very different. I wanted to speak with my doctor, really wants to get my doctor's opinion. So my expectation is high. I really want the human to be there. Uh, that's why I said, as we told, as earlier I mentioned that one, when, I, when, I, when we, our clients ask us, uh, can they basically mask our, AI cognitive AI assistant as the real person, we always say, no, do not uh, lie. Do not actually pretend, right? Because they mix, they're going to be have a mismatch of expectations. So in that case, uh, then unless uh, it tells me very clearly to say, a doctor is not available at this point to speak with you, I'm the, his AI assistant. So may I just uh, collect uh, p uh, several uh, pieces of information? So this case will help the doctor to respond to you. I don't mind either. But if somebody tries to pretend to be a doctor to basically imitate a nice voice or something like that, then I will feel be cheated. It's about actually, it's about actually, again, expectation, purpose of the use of the one, right? I think uh, uh, that's just me. I think if I just get it done, I don't care if it's a real person. But if I'm explicitly asked for something, but then I still got cheated, I think that's a, uh, that would be an issue. That would be a problem. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. It's funny that you're really pioneering these conversations with, with actual customers. You have to solve these solve these problems where there's no clear answers. Mm -hmm. And I think the decisions you all are making are going to set a precedent for companies to come, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as we navigate this. So through this whole process, what is really, you know, like the more you study machines, the more you, the more you learn about ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, what has really surprised you about human nature? through this journey for the last 10 years? I mean, is there anything that's really like, that you've been like, that just a scientific result that you didn't expect? I wouldn't say there's a surprising, maybe it's more reinforcement, right? The reinforcement, it is, uh, uh, we humans are very smart and uh, great at abstract reasoning, abstract um, learning, uh, making conclusions and making decisions. And machines are really, really dumb to be honest, right? even though I'm being building it. And uh, it needs to be taught, right? And uh, another thing I think is a reinforcement, it is uh, uh, machines, uh, it's kind of like just another tools, right? As I said, uh, it's not gonna replace us, it's going to augment us, depending on how you're gonna use it, right? So it's not going to, let's say, when the organizations use it, especially the organizations are very forward-looking, very innovative, they really use it in a very nice way to make both of their customers, their clients happy, as well as make their workforce happy. Because uh, this one, like I said, again, it's a reinforcement. It is uh, humans, because they're so smart, uh, many things they don't like to do, right? So we learned it is, uh, that's why it's really, it's cut out for machines to do. So which human beings would like to be staying on the phone, answering the same question, Ten, tens of thousands of times a day, even to different people. I don't, I don't think anybody who even social would like to do that, right? So, and basically tirelessly do that. So humans don't like to do this kind of mundane stuff. That's kind of reinforcement over, over again. And another part of it is um, uh, humans are, how do you say, uh, I wouldn't say lazy is maybe a negative word. Another one it is maybe smart in a, is a positive word. Humans, want to have shortcuts, right? So you people always ask us, 
hey, why do I need uh, uh, everybody now starting to think about on the website, I should have a, uh, AI chatbot, have AI to help them. I already have all the information on my website. Why do still I need to have an AI chatbot? That's a question asked them most often. Then we said it is from, uh, then you ask other organization why they put on one. It's because uh, even though you have all the information on your website, people do not look at every page to find the information they want, right? You could say laziness. You could also say smartness because I don't want to. If I can chat with somebody just to say, hey, so where is the application deadline? So um, where is application link? When is the application deadline? So I don't need to go search. I don't need to go navigate multiple websites, multiple links to find that one. Saves my time. It's great, right? So that's uh, basically we see it is uh, humans always want to take shortcuts. Maybe it's not a surprise. As I said, we knew that, but just reinforce it in this era. If you have machines to help you, hey, please use that, right? Another part of it is uh, Humans are very creative and smart. They don't like to do repetitive work. They don't want to do the work which is meaningless. And they want to do always, hey, I would love to do something different. That's always kind of a proved in, in the scenario in the application. We see how AI can really help to relieve uh, human burdens in those kind of tasks. And also in the tasks, humans like to do like a creativity they don't they don't want a machine to help <laughs> because i want to do this one i mean enjoy doing this one why do i need you to help right so it's a so it's kind of a, so this is again uh, um again a uh, uh, reinforcement another one if you want to give a tool to somebody to use this tool is better be helpful not to add more work right just to give you a little bit of idea about this is actually i learned from my startup uh, uh, area so we first when we created the ai our assistance to help, uh, we want to help the market researchers, we want to help the user researchers to do better uh, user research. Basically, they can use this AI to uh, ask open-ended questions and because it's time-consuming, right? So if you have one user researcher, you cannot interview 10 people at the same time. If you have an AI assistant, you can interview one. But we didn't do a good job at the beginning because they couldn't go to edited a question, they couldn't customize their AI, uh, basically AI research assistant very well. And the more, once the research results being collected, once the user input be collected, we don't have analytic capability to help them analyze that. So I went out to ask, uh, just like any entrepreneur, ask our friends who are uh, uh, friends and the family members who in this area, who are in this area to try our product, initial product. So, you know, I really got hit hard. It is one of the person I knew very well. It's a very a great user researcher. And she was telling me, she said, Michelle, thank you for asking me to try. I will be happy to try. But to be honest, I'm not going to use your tool. I said, why? Because your tool didn't really help me get my job done. Actually ask me to do more work than I <laughs> do. And I said, how is it? Because now I have to... Um, uh, figure out uh, uh, because uh, this tool doesn't quite work yet, right? Figure out how um, uh, how it make the work. Second, once I got all these uh, questions uh, answered, I have to analyze them. You don't have analytics one. So then I said, oh, really? If you want somebody to use your tool, you got to give it a hundred percent. It can be eighty percent there, right? So I I got if you ask me the uh, surprise it is. You know, people always tell you. Or get MVP out, and uh, you know in a you know in a startup world, right? Just let them try it. No, that's not working because we tried that, and the people said I'm not going to use it. So in this case, you don't really know who are your users, right? So far, I haven't found really one client that said this one. Oh, your tool is so crappy. I'm going to use it anyway. I haven't got to, because everybody is super busy. Everybody is really, everybody really uh, want to try something, get something that can help them, not burden them, right? So that's why we really kind of, uh, I would say, suck it in to say, hey, we have to make it uh, work. By the way, there's a balance. Uh, the tool has to be useful to some way. It doesn't need to be perfect, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, 
I think startup people get annoyed when they know you're putting something out where you can already anticipate the problems. And it sucks to be told there's a problem when you can anticipate it. But it's a lot of learning when you can't anticipate it. You know you're getting direct feedback from your customers. They're like, hey, I'm going to use this. That's work. And as a physician, I can tell you we're very, very sensitive to any added labor <laughs> that we yeah, have exactly. to do. If I, exactly. if, I, if I have to move a mouse three, you know, three square feet more a day, that's like I'm, you know, I'm going to complain about it. So that's – that's the most efficient thing, which reminds me of this, you know, just taking a 30,000 foot view mm-hmm. of the different use cases that you feel like at Juju, you've really been, you, you've got your, you guys, got, you guys have got your fingers in so many different domains. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the health, the health and the healthcare uh, space and mm-hmm. how that, is that different from the other things you, do you have an added burden of pressure of expectation, uh, privacy? How has that experience been? And what kind of feedback have you gotten from the use of your bots? Yeah, I think uh, it's, a, it's another great question. I think the uh, healthcare domain is very similar to the domain we're working with other, like, the, for example, HR domain, right? Talent management. And another domain, it's educational domain about student learning. So we, GG got the most of attraction in those domains. It's because now I'm just trying to reflect upon it is, because all these domains are human-centered, thinking about it, right? Education domain is about teaching humans. Healthcare domain is about the wellness, the health of the humans. And also HR is about develop humans, identifying talent. It's all very human-centric. So they, those domains do have some shared characteristics, shared requirements. So one thing... They want something, the AI from in AI, what they call empathetic. Empathetic, which means it is, it's not just having a conversation, but actually having a meaningful, productive, empathetic conversation, right? Which means it is the chatbot, the AI at least shows that, can express that, hey, I'm here with you. I'm trying to help you versus on the uh, majority of the other AI companies in our space, it is focusing on uh, property, for example, customer service, right? So customer service, when people go there already with the attitude, I think very few people go to customer service talking about it. I'm very happy. I just want to call customer service to tell them I'm happy. Always says I have an issue. I need to return. It's when I go to customer service. So in this case, it's under a lot of pressure already. So in our case, it is... Um, uh, in our case, it is, it's, uh, it's also from the proactive point of view, right? How can I help you? How can I care for you more? So that's, uh, it has a higher requirements, uh, higher level of, I would say, quality required of the conversation is number one. Second, all those domains uh, we work, uh, the, the people we worked with, our clients we worked with, they have a domain expertise. So they knew what the recruitment is like, what uh, challenges in talent retention and what challenges in dealing with patients, uh, challenges dealing with uh, students, helping students to succeed in their learning process, right? So in this case, uh, but they, all these organizations have an, an, uh, another shared one. It is they may not have the first world-class IT team or hundreds, uh, thousands of uh, AI experts, right? So which means that is if they want to adopt uh, very advanced, uh, cutting-edge AI technologies, uh, the no-code, the reusable AI is a must because they just don't have that kind of uh, resources uh, to do that. And the third one it is, uh, we learned it is, uh, uh, in any of these domains, uh, things evolve. Think about it. Patient has a life cycle, right? Beginning, maybe not the patient yet. Then they become a patient. After the patient is got treated, they become a post-treatment. Similarly with education, it's always a life cycle before they become a student of a program, during the program, after the program, they maybe want to do rescale, upscale in the relearning, right? Similarly in the HR, before become a job candidate, become an employee, employee gets promoted and then maybe become retirement. So this whole life cycle of this one. So which means it is the AI assistants need to be also gradually also evolve, right? Doing different tasks. So this kind of a natural evolution needs to be there, needs to be easily adapted to the situation. So which means maintenance, means upgrade. Again, with limited resources in AI, IT, 
it's also important to have a solution that they can manage. They can actually uh, uh, maintain, upgrade. Just thinking about the, just thinking about the, uh, think, thinking about the uh, 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 example in a, a learning example, right? So uh, when they have a new program, when they have a new, uh, let's say, um, application criteria, so the uh, uh, the recruitment specialist they should be able to go inside there, change there quickly, not to spend another tens of thousands of dollars or maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars to say, hey, uh, IT company, you have to come here to help me to update it, upgrade it, right? So similarly, you can think about the pandemic, how fast things could change, how policy could change even with the hospital, health court organization. You can't wait for somebody come in to say, I have to take down my chatbot, take down my AI assistant for two weeks to upgrade it. You don't have that luxury, right? So all these three parts of it and needs to be addressed when they actually uh, uh, try to think about, uh, select, uh, adopt uh, AI solutions, right? So it's really the quality of the service to please, to satisfy their audience, the people who they serve, and then to the actually the easy of use and the speed to value, we call the time to value. And then to the last part of it is uh, the ease the um, to maintenance, to upgrade, to evolve. I think that all the things are very important to the uh, uh, organizations who really doing what we call the human-centered services. Deliver yeah, human -centered that makes services. a lot of sense. Well, I think the term you've mentioned a couple of times, which I want to delve, delve into, I think you have a unique perspective on it, is no code. And what, just for the layperson mm. uh, who's not a programmer, yeah. no experience mm -hmm. with uh, coding, is not technical even, uh, what is no code? Okay. I, ha I have a good analogy to that, uh, especially in uh, these days, right? No code means it is uh, uh, like they use a very... Uh, popular, very kind of well-known business tools like a PowerPoint, like a, a spreadsheet, Excel spreadsheet. They don't need to write code. They just like, especially PowerPoint is a good example. So if you want to make a presentation, you go there, putting you to a content. Hey, you have a PowerPoint deck, right? Presentation deck. You don't need to write any line of the code versus you have to figure out uh, how can you line up every single bullet together and which font are you going to use in terms of what's the spacing between the one writing code to do that automatically, right? PowerPoint does that for you already. And you, so you don't need to, so you could just focus on your content, on your presentation format. Sometimes the format can even be given to you because you have those templates, right? So no code here it is from a, a creating an AI assistant, AI chatbot point of view it is, you need to write the code to say, okay, my AI chatbot will say this one and how they can respond. Uh, let's say I have to write the, uh, uh, this machine learning model, I have to download, I have to train it. Then I have to actually uh, uh, make sure how to write the Python code, write the JavaScript code to connect all the pieces together, right? And then I have to say, oh, what if there's an exception? How the uh, chatbot needs to manage the conversational flow, I have to write a code to say, oh, if it's this one and go to jump to here, and then if it doesn't work here, you have to worry about all these uh, mechanisms, right? So in our case, no code means you don't need to worry about. You are um, uh, almost like you do a PowerPoint, you just give the content. And similarly, like you use the spreadsheet, you give the content of it. So our uh, AI behind the scene will thread those together and to actually automatically generate an AI assistant for you. So this can be as domain as domain specific as someone would want if yeah. they just provided the content that was content uh, with the, their domain, right? So I use this analogy because somebody was asking me about this too. So you said that if an organization or individual, a professional, uh, would want the already made, right, completely made uh, AI assistant, or they wish to customize themselves, it's actually it's like a PowerPoint, uh, very similar to this uh, analogy. Nobody probably would uh, uh, have the well-made set of or I'm going to use it. Few, rare, right? Because you want to adapt to your tone, your language, your brand. So uh, I still believe at this point, uh, people don't want to have the already made, uh, completely made. They always want to change. They always want to go there, for example, even just change uh, several wording, just change the punctuation mark, uh, 
They want to make it my own, belong to my brand, belong to my voice. That's how we found it. The customers want to kind of like tinkering with it a little bit, just like they use PowerPoint, right? So, I guess very few people will sell you a fully made PowerPoint. What are you going to use it for? And because、uh, you want to use it a template for say, but not the whole content, right? Similarly,、uh, I can see that same thing too. People will sell the templates. The conversational template with a structure, almost like say, oh, at the beginning you say greeting, and in the middle this is a flow, and at the end you wrap up. But、uh, how exactly the content would be, people would put in themselves because they want to represent their own brand, their own voice. For non-technical people who are familiar with conversation, which is all of us, yeah,、um, to be able to deploy things that force multiply their labor,、um, mm-hmm. hopefully, but. But then, really, it comes down to when when those conversations go off script.、Mm-hmm. It seems like to me when I look at the technology that most of us have already used.、Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned Clippy, but that's a long time ago. But everyone today has Siri or some version of it on their phone, which is amazing. If、mm-hmm. you think about the fact that we have access to that and we just take it for granted.、Mm-hmm. That being said, I have found, and I don't know if I'm a minority、mm-hmm. or if I'm the majority here. I don't use it, and I don't know why I don't use it. And I, I I think my 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 questions and tasks I would have for it are very complicated. I know that going in,、mm-hmm. so I already know and expect a high failure rate. So I'm like, oh, it's not worth my time. Whereas I'm probably in the minority. Probably a lot of people use it for for menial things. But I guess my question is, where are we in the innovation timeline? Are you know? It seems like Siri hasn't changed for ten years. <laughs> it feels like that. Uh, like and every time I try to have a conversation with any of these bots that goes past、uh, a couple back and forths, they all seem to just kind of fall down. I mean, where is Juji on that on that innovation timeline, and where are we headed? Are we are we headed to real conversation? Is there anything now that I can just talk to for five minutes? That <laughs> I hate to use the word Turing test, but you should、like、you、that. should you should you should go to with our、uh, chat bot. I think you chat much more longer than five minutes. It's easily for ten fifteen minutes. Because our longest one was three and a half hours, right? So it's a what's the job interview chat, and then some、um, candidate, which we ended up hire her as well, and really gave a very extensive responses to the chat box question, and they had this back and forth of the one, right? I think you are actually in majority in terms of you're not using theory, you're not using a one. It's because of the Uh, quality of the conversation. Again, as I said earlier, it's a very similar.、Uh, computer doesn't matter; it's AI or not AI. It's just a tool, right? If the tool doesn't help you, you're not going to use it, right? So、uh, if that tool truly helps you, I bet you will use it. So, example: if a theory can understand eighty percent of your one, if you ask Siri to say, "Hey Siri,、uh, you know today I'm so busy." Oh, can you just uh, uh, check? Uh,、um, like I'm, I'm using an example of myself, right? I'm、uh, looking for a particular plant on this、uh, dry shed corner. Can you、um, make some、uh, recommendations? If the Siri knows me to say、uh, knows about dry shed and knows me about the particular color, style, particular location, give me a. Give me some recommendations. Of course, I will use it. I will use probably every day, every not every hour, but every day, right? So the reason it is,、uh, I wouldn't ask Siri because I knew Siri would not be able to answer it, right? So that's about it's um, and、uh, then to set expectation, it's about uh, uh the tool. I think I learned from a, a, a previous IBM actually software executive. It's very, very nice three simple rules when you create a tool like this one. First one has to be called prescriptive, which telling you what it can do, right? Can be second one. I remember is uh, uh, has to be open, open, which means that they can also keep learning, right? So if you let's say you Siri doesn't know something, you teach Siri. Siri actually knows it. You hey, got me interested in. I will continue using it because it continue. So that's how we made our tool like that one too. You teach very little bit. Oh, it's actually improved immediately, right? That's why people love that. And the last part of it is it has to be easily integrated. So, which means it is now you say today Siri doesn't know about my uh, 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 plants, uh, doesn't know the knowledge. If I point to Siri to say, 
look at those websites. They are actually the websites, the selling plans. Do that. And if Siri can do that, perfect. I will use it again. So this about this uh, openness, about integrability, about this prescript, uh, 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 prescriptive, it's important. But most of them don't have that. So when you create a tool, the tool needs to be useful and usable, right? I always use this U2, 2U, U2, whatever you say, U square, which means useful and useful and usable. If it's one of them doesn't have it, you and people are not going to use it, will be abandoned. So that's why we also uh, talk to our the supervisor, our clients. They said, uh, you will be the supervisor of your AI. Don't abandon your AI. It's almost like adopt your child, adopt a child, right? If you abandon your AI assistant, your assistant will be abandoned. So let me share with you one uh, data. We are so excited about it. So some of the universities are using ours. So I see their answering rate about answering prospect students' questions, 99.7%, which means it is they did a great job about it. Uh, understanding and uh, set the right expectation too right if you go to their web if you go to the one it answers 100% of 99% of any question of course not but they go there to do this one they answer the 99.7% of the questions regarding about their programs regarding about their uh, application processes right so people had this uh, of course in the say people will use it it, it does it, it because it does the job right so it's a uh, so to answer your question long uh, for long answer short, it is uh, set an expectation in the domain. Second part of it is uh, uh, do not abandon it. Keep improving it. Yeah, it's a work in progress. So that 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 brings me back to the the journey you all are on at, at Juji. What is um, what is Juji working on currently? What are your challenges, and what's just over the horizon? What yeah. is the next huge That's milestone great. for you as a company? Yeah, great question. So uh, right now, I think uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, challenges is uh, uh, we, because uh, uh, like now you ask people, why do you need the website, right? So uh, probably you don't need to ask this question. Everybody can have an answer why you need a website. Otherwise, you're not going to be found, right? So now uh, when people, are, especially uh, pioneers, uh, innovators, uh, they wanted to use the AI chatbots, right? So they already adopted. So not part of we don't have any challenge in terms of once they see, oh, that's very useful. They already come up with ideas. So I think one of the challenges is it's because humans has a great knowledge, but the machines still have limitations, remember, right? So how can you uh, educate the, we call it the human supervisors of the machines, human supervisors of the AI, to take the best advantage of the AI. I think that requires education. Not just uh, we see, it's uh, probably a new profession coming here. We call the conversational AI designer or maybe just AI supervisors. So train them, how do you, because they are great about the conversation already, but uh, you want to let them know the uh, constraints, the limitations of the machines, how to can best operate in this arena with the limitations. That's a one, right? One challenge. Second challenge, because we have so many advanced machine intelligence already, uh, which is helps the first challenge in this case, solve this challenge, is what we call explainable AI. How do you explain to the people, how do you explain to the people what your what intelligence your AI has, right? So for example, we saw, uh, like in our case, Gigi has really uh, thousands of now probably could have built in conversation topics. So for example, one topic was about discussing about uh, people's hobbies. What do you like to do? What do you want? Uh, even though we had this ready, uh, when the conversational designer come to here, they're not using it. It's not because they don't want to use it because they don't know what's in it, right? What's in it? Do you remember when we watch Harry Potter? We look at magic device, a magic maybe a, uh, called apparatus. If they don't tell you what's inside of it, I remember somebody even tell them, don't use it, right? Because you don't know what's going to come out of it. And uh, it's a black box. That's why we needed to unbox the black box. Well, to actually explain to people what uh, inside this AI. The challenge here it is because we're explaining to people are non-IT professional. So that language, the explanation has always to be uh, 
very easy to understand, right? So that's a challenge. How do you unbox? How do you uh, basically uh, uh, reveal that kind of intelligence inside our engine, but not overwhelming people? That's that's another balance to uh, to uh, or kind of to check, right? To to weigh, with not but without overwhelming people to say what's inside of it. So um, that's a challenge from our side. So next, so the next step we're uh, we're developing things to explaining what kind of AI, uh, especially in our case, very sophisticated now, how to use the plain language, a layman's term, a layperson's term to explain that. So people say, oh, that's what you have. Then I want to use this because it helps the first process of the take the best advantage of the AI. But in the meantime, knew the, knew the limitations, learn the limitations. And how... How are you dealing with the challenge or are you concerned about this this idea of bias uh, or because we have to use some kind of data set or an evolving data set is ground truth for the conversations. How do you what's your approach at Juji to make sure that you're sampling, you know, a diverse array of people, conversations, topics, ways of communicating? Um, and have you have you noticed this become a problem yet or is this is this problem kind of overblown? So far, actually, uh, so far, uh, there's one myth that people don't know about it is People always think we have loads of data, right? So actually, uh, yes, in a way, we have what we call the global rich data, global rich local poor data. So what I mean by that it is, yes, you have lots of data everywhere the one, but when really you want to train a particular task for this to do, like just an example I gave, to train this conversation, one topic, talking about people's hobbies, I don't know if somebody heard this, uh, your podcast, uh, please welcome to reach out to me, say that I have loads of data just on this topic. Very detailed data. I'm talking about specifically just on this topic, right? Very few. But if you have lots of other one, when you put it inside, it's garbage in, garbage out. Doesn't help you, right? So actually, this always data, local poor. And local poor uh, on social media, people think about it is, oh, I have loads of data. Once you take a look at social media stats, statistics, only maybe 5% or maybe 1% of the people produce most of the data, then which means the rest of the 90% of the people don't have much of the data. Again, when you do analytics, they have to be very careful how you use them will be representing the 1% of the people, right? So that's why we're always trying to collect diverse data, but also make sure that locally rich can be used for or the very much more fine finer grained tasks. It's a very it's a very big challenge. So that's why you said it is one. So um, uh, when you're talking about bias, it, is, it sounds like you have lots of data already right there. You're just going to make sure you sample it right. No, most of the things, you know, especially in the task, when real tasks, you don't have enough data. So you're right. When it goes there, enough data, then you want to create it. Now, create. You want to collect data as much diverse as possible. What are your um, What is your advice for entrepreneurs? Be and I'm asking. I'm, I'm so interested in your response because you've been through uh, the ups and downs, the startup roller coaster, mm -hmm. but you're also in a very high pressure pioneering mm -hmm. area. Mm -hmm. So, what would you say to either yourself when you started this? Uh, if you could talk to yourself, or what do you have for, for the advice for other people who are listening who are thinking, I have an idea about this, and I think I should do something about it, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, the things I learned the most it is I came from a very scientific background, a scientist background. Uh, whenever you have an idea, you really have to uh, create it, right? So people do think it is uh, ideas are dime a, a dime a dozen. But actually making it work it takes a lot of effort, right? So don't create a, a minimum viable product. Create a minimum valuable product, which means it is it really adds value to somebody in some situations. Test it out. 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 To find really people say, oh, that's why. So we really just came to last year and this year to have that actually really realistic feeling to say, ah, oh, wow, this is so useful versus just the dancing on the surface to say, oh, this is a great one. I let you to use it. 
as I said, I got this feedback said, Michelle, you're not helping because this ha happens to be a people I'm close to. I know. I mean, you're not helping me. You actually gave me more burdens, right? If you if you don't get this very uh, authentic, uh, realistic response, you will be just shooting in the dark and maybe just uh, cheat yourself and cheat your team, basically, right? Maybe sometimes cheat your investors. It's very absolutely important uh, to finding something you, oh, you, but not just you, your potential audience find it. Uh, oh, that's really helped me solve the problem, right? Figure out what problem it is. Uh, not people not to actually um trying to uh, uh get the what what do people call it get a hammer first and trying to find the nails to hammer on find the nails first <laughs> still i think this everybody said that but uh, again it's just uh, that level of detail that level of depth is required right so we're lucky we got into this um uh, national i think uh, natural national science natural science foundation nsf this program called icor I recommend, especially if you're a student, if you're a professor from academia, I highly, highly recommend this program. They really teach you, uh, you have to go talk to your potential customers, right? But then not just the one time, many, many times to go there to ask them, hey, use it, find out if it really solves the problem. Don't, basically, don't cheat yourself. I like the way you put that. Yeah, I've never heard someone put that, but that really is you're you're shooting yourself in the foot, mm -hmm. and like you said, your team. Yeah. So I guess my 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 last question is really, what do you need? What does Juji need to reach your next step? Are you are you guys um, are you looking for growth goals? Are you looking for funding? Mm -hmm. What how can how can the world help you? Talents, talents, talents. <laughs> so we're hiring right now, and uh, uh, we love to attract uh, people who actually have a sense of a design and the user-centered design, which means they care about what users use, users' feedback, right? And also talented in terms of uh, realize our vision in terms of actually do this low-code AI, right? And the explainable AI, explain in a very beautiful, in a very understandable, in a very natural way to our clients how the AI actually can help them. So I would say talents is the number one uh, priority always for us. So if somebody hear this one, come, go, just go submit your submit your resume to us at, uh, I could call it, I think the video is jobs at gg-inc.com. I'm going to do a <laughs> jobs at gg-inc.com. And I was going to ask you where, where people would find you, but I'll, I'll put up your social links as well. So yeah. in, in the description mm -hmm. of this podcast. So this has been an absolute pleasure to be able to talk to one of the leaders in the field. I know you, you're still very active in the scientific research area as well. You're editing a journal. And, and so you see a lot of things come across your desk that, that show kind of people mm -hmm. doing the forefront of stuff. So um, thank you so much for your time and really appreciate uh, educating me and the audience on, on this very exciting part of, of um, AI. Thank you, Ravi. Great. Yeah, it's really a, a pleasure speaking with you, and hopefully your audience will find some, at least some part of it useful. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs>